You're listening to a sermon from Midtown Presbyterian Church in Phoenix, Arizona. If you'd like to learn more about Midtown and its ministry, please visit us at midtownpres.org or follow us on Instagram or Facebook. also not Clint Levitt. Uh, that is not who I am or who I look like or my name. And, uh, and Clint is on vacation. Can we just also thank goodness for that? We're really grateful that Clint is resting. He has sent far too many texts to some of us in this room. While being on vacation, he sent me a very sweet text this morning, and I just wanted to respond to him, shut up and be on vacation. <laughs> so <laughs> this week, if you think about Clint, also pray that he and Emily would just be getting some much-needed rest and some rejuvenation, and that he would be built up, ultimately, for what God's called him uh, to do and how he leads our community as well. And so if you just joined me in that, that'd be great. Really would appreciate that, and I know that he would as well, but he would never ask for it. So I'm going to ask on his behalf. Um, that being said, as we uh, dive in today, um, we're going to be continuing on in this sermon series that we've been, over the, been in over the course of the last two weeks. Today's actually our last week in it, and what we've been doing is we've been going to the Psalms, and we've been really just leaning in and understanding what some of these ancient poems have in store for us, the, the, the deep encouragement that's there, and at the same time, there, there's some heaviness in the midst of that. I don't know about you, but the last two weeks as I've been listening in, uh, there, there's some heaviness, there's some weightiness to that. It's not something that we just approach particularly easily, and we just kind of get to move through, but they're things that prompt us and push us to think to lean in and to see ultimately what God has in store for us, the kind of life that God has called us to. And ultimately what we're doing over the course of the last two weeks and today is just this recognition that we as people are completely dependent, period. Uh, we are completely dependent and ultimately really trying to figure out if we're really leaning in, if we're really living this life ultimately that God's called us to live, our dependence is to be found in him and to him alone and that through that, we can experience the type of life that God talks to us about, that God invites us into. That can be a reality, not just for a few of us, but every single one of us if we call Jesus Lord. And so we want to enter into that. We want to be in that reality. We want to begin to understand that and to walk that through. We want that to speak to our lives, to transform us, to change us into people of hope and of love and of joy, and that ultimately not only would we be left changed because of it, but we would be able to then take him with us out there and change the world that surrounds us. Believe it or not, it can happen. We can do it. We have to come to him. We have to be with him. We have to find ourselves in this place of dependence. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. And I feel like I've, I've kind of built us up for a little bit here. I'm going to bring us like way down, all right? So hang with me. Hang with me as we do this today. And uh, I, I'm going to ask you guys if you know this person by name. Have you ever heard the name Horatio Spafford by hands? Anybody? One. Yes. Two. Oh, we got two. Okay, Perfect. So I, I'm really excited about that. That's not a, yeah, I'm going to tell a story. It's not exciting. I'm just, again, hang with me here. Horatius Spafford, for those of you who don't know him, he was a, a rather successful businessman in the 1870s. And he's a lawyer and ultimately involved in real estate. And in 1871, ultimately ended up losing the bulk of his, his fortune in the Great Chicago Fire. Similarly, right after the Great Chicago Fire, Horatio ended up losing his four-year-old son to scarlet fever. Uh, as anybody would in this scenario uh, and in this situation, the hope would be almost to, to flee, right? 
I got to get away. I got to begin to to see life a bit differently, maybe just have some sort of escape. And so Horatio thought that a vacation would be good for the rest of his family. And so he and his wife and his four daughters were planning to go to England. And ultimately, Horatio got his wife, Anna, and his four daughters on a boat, set sail to England, and ultimately had to stay back for a few days in Chicago to finish business. And as the ship set sail, crossing the Atlantic Ocean, it ended up colliding with another ship. And of the 330 people on this boat, 200 of which ended up losing their life, including all four of Horatio's daughters. As anybody would in this situation, in this scenario, Horatio then immediately got on the boat, received a telegram from his wife, Anna, that simply said these words as it started it, saved alone, what shall I do? So he gets on the boat and he's going across this ocean and the captain of the ship ends up you know, effectively hearing about the tragedy that's struck the Spafford family and ultimately ends up calling for Horatio and he invites him into to a conversation and at one point in their journey, he, he tells Horatio effectively, this is where it happened. This is where the shipwreck occurred. This is where your four daughters lost their lives. I don't know what you would be feeling in that moment. I don't know what I would be feeling in that moment. As a father of two, I can't imagine. And as Horatio thought about it, he thought about his daughters. These words of comfort and of hope filled his heart and they filled his mind. He wrote them down. And for us, they've become a well-known hymn. The words he wrote were this. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to know, it is well, it is well with my soul. I told you I was going to bring it way down, guys. It's heavy. It's weighty. I can see as I look at all these faces, there's this realization of that, right? what he must have been going through, what he must be feeling. He has every right, every right to feel anything in that very moment. And instead, what comes out is peace and comfort. Clinging to God, finding his dependence not upon himself or anything else that surrounds him in this very moment, but ultimately coming before the feet of Jesus and welcoming that presence into his life being spurred on to write these words that ultimately have comforted so many of us, probably in this room as well. I know they have me. When a dear friend of mine passed sitting in the front row of a church just like this, singing those words while just crying, trying to figure out, do I actually believe those words? The truth and the reality of life is that life can be brutal. It can be cruel. It can be dark. It can be difficult. It can be hard. All of us have been through that. We know these moments. But when I see the life of Horatio Spafford in this very moment, oh, and by the way, he went on to lose another child later on in his life as well. Ultimately, what we see here is an understanding and a demonstration of the truths that we receive today in our text, which is in Psalm 46, this reality. We're going to unpack it. We're going to dive into it. We're going to let it wash over us. But, but this right here, period, is the truth and the reality of everything we're about to talk about for the next 20, 30 minutes or so. This is it, lived out, bold, courageous, beautiful, 
honest, hopeful, real, transparent. And so I want to invite you to, to jump in with me. If you have a Bible, open on it. We're going to be in Psalm 46. If you don't have a Bible, we have some at the back of the room. I know we've got phones with apps as well. Feel free to open up your app. Um, simultaneously as well, if you don't have a Bible, I invite you, grab one in the back of the room, take it with you. That's our gift to you. We want to be people who are formed by this word, shaped by it. And so please just know that that's available to you and it's yours. So we're going to dive in here. Psalm 46, we're going to walk through it. And then I want to get super applicable, honestly, for us, what this genuinely means for our lives. So join with me. Starting verse 1, we're going to go through verse 10. It says this, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar, kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice, his voice, the earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations that he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and he shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire and he says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Cool, right? there. This is incredible news, isn't it? It's amazing. It's beautiful, right? This, this, this passage, as we open it up and we see it, all that's proclaimed here, it's like just like we should just start like slow clapping, right? Like this is, this is good. We want this. We want to celebrate this. This is the truth and the reality. And yet, what I want us to acknowledge, what I want us to see here as we dive in is ultimately that it's got two different paces that it's talking about. As we get into Psalm 46, ultimately what it's presenting is this fact that we are both in the desert and similarly at the exact same time we are in the promised land, right? The psalm is this affirmation that ultimately we are to trust God in the most troublesome of situations. We see it in the opening statement in verse 1 as well as in this recurring refrain that we see. Remember, this is poetry in verses 7 and 11, each serving as this reinforcement to God's presence and protection. God's with us. Even when the world around us might seem to be falling apart, even in the, in, in the midst, while it's happening of unprecedented natural disasters that change and destroy the earth, we're told in verses 2 and 3, we're not to fear. In verse 6, we're told that in the midst of political division, that the voice of God can be heard. In verse 9, we're told that in the midst of senseless violence, that God will ultimately bring peace. Now, if we look at this as a whole, as the way we break it down, it breaks down into four parts. We have three stanzas and ultimately this refrain that comes in in verses 7 and 11. But we're breaking it down. It'll be verses 1 through 3, verses 4 through 6, and then verses 8 through 10. This is the way that we should approach it. And so what we see here as we approach the first stanza is simply this. The hymn right here juxtaposes the steady, secure image of God as refuge with the image of the earth and the seas in absolute uproar. 
right? We get the image of the earth that's shaking and the sea is roaring, this image of creation itself ultimately rebelling against God and God's creative order. And what this image is, honestly, is it serves as this reminder, a reminder that the fallen condition of creation goes beyond just mere human disobedience. That's part of it, yes. But that the fallen condition ultimately encompasses all of creation. It encompasses all of nature, and thus the law that the psalm names here is really that creation itself is broken and ultimately in rebellion against its creator. Earthquakes, tsunamis, cause destruction, disease and disability strike. Death is a reality ultimately for all forms of life surrounding us in the world. But the gospel that the psalm names here ultimately in the midst of this, in the middle of it, is what I want us to get here, while it's happening, is that there is one trustworthy source of security that can be relied upon in the midst of that roaring rebellion, in the midst of sin, in the midst of what's happening, this threat that's being presented by the psalmist. They say, God is our refuge. Therefore, we will not fear. And I want us to take a moment. I want you to notice this. Notice the strategy of the psalm here over and over and over again. What it does is it ultimately names the very real reason that we have to fear, and then it moves us into a place to confess our trust in God in the midst of those fears taking place, in the midst of those happening. We get to the second stanza, and ultimately what, what we see is something very similar, but we move in, from creation's rebellion, ultimately to human rebellion, and begins to name this very specifically. That we are not just affected by the fall of creation, but we're affected by the fall of humanity. We're affected by a sin not only around us that's pressing in, but a sin ultimately that lives within each and one of us as well. It's pointing out, yes, all of creation is fallen. Yes, all of creation is in rebellion, but also proves to show us that humans in rebellion, because of the combination that it has with human intelligence and will, makes specific evils such as war, such as genocide makes these types of things possible. And so we read in the midst of that. The nations are in uproar. There's this intensification of the threat, this intensification of sin. It's not just there, it's here, it's here, right? He wants us to know that. Simultaneously, it comes back with the corresponding promise as well in the second stanza and offers that ultimately, in the midst of the nations in uproar, God is with his people. God is present with his people. God is there. Move in to the final stanza, and we get this amazing culmination with a statement of trust and ultimately this invitation to a promise that God has for us. The invitation, he says, is what? Come. Come. See what God has done, and therefore, because you've seen it, you've experienced it, you're in it, praise me. Praise me. Praise God. And in the end, God even speaks the promise to us plainly, and he says, be still and know that I am God. He's not just saying for us to understand that from an intellectual level, but he's saying, I want you to fully internalize that. I want you to know that down to the deepest part of your core to embody that truth fully. No, I am God, his promise. I am God. And then he asserts his exaltation. He asserts his power over both spheres of creation, both that of the natural as well as of the human. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. It's the promise of this psalm. In a larger sense, this is the promise of the Bible, isn't it? That the God of creation will, in the end of all things, prove to be a faithful refuge 
for his people and for all. For those that have been caught by the fallen condition of creation and image, he is our refuge. He is our strength. He is our fortress. He's in our midst. He's acquainted with our lives. He's acquainted with our sin. He's acquainted with our sorrows. As we look at the instability around the world that surrounds us, ultimately, right, creation and turmoil, folks at war, Psalm 46 is a place that we can come and remember, ultimately, that God still rules. This is the truth. This is the reality that we live in, period. So if I were to sum it up, right, if we were to take everything from Psalm 46, if we were to dial it down into just a few words, here it is. Have confidence in God, my friends. Have confidence in God. We see these words, we receive them, we understand them, they fall on us, they're amazing, they're incredible, they're important for every single one of us. Here's where I want to take us for a moment, okay? Here's what I often think happens for so many of us, and I want to get really real here, and I'm going to ask that each of you enter into me, enter in with me in a moment of honesty and transparency. I'm not going to ask you to like share anything, but just internally that you'd be able to be here, be open, and to reflect on what we're talking about. I think so often what happens is ultimately we can hear this truth, we can fully acknowledge it, and yet, still far too often in our darkest moments, in the struggles of life, find ourselves putting our confidence and our dependence, attempting to find our strength, attempting to find our fortress, attempting to find our refuge, ultimately in ourselves, somebody else, or as Eugene Peterson calls it, in the flimsy things of this world. I love that. Nothing in this world is solid enough to build upon that foundation. The flimsy things of this world. Now, six and a half years ago, my life changed forever, and when I had my first daughter, uh, her name is Nora, and she is here today. She's running around, she's crazy and hilarious, and she has just, yes, changed my life in every amazing way possible. And one of the things that I've loved the most about being a dad is that I get to celebrate, uh, I get to celebrate one thing with her, and that is that all the new things that she does in life, the things that go well, the things that are exciting, and I get to cheer her on, I get to support her, I get to watch her. The other thing I love about being a dad is that I get to be in her, with her in all the other stuff as well, the things that are hard, that are painful, the things that aren't, don't necessarily go the way that she hopes they do, and I get to meet her in that, and I get to comfort her, I get to walk with her. I get to let her know that she's not alone, and we kind of begin to work through these things. Now. When Nora was one, she was really starting to, to, to move a bit. She was starting to, to crawl faster. She was beginning to walk, and she was going all over the place. And uh, I don't know if anybody else in this room does, but uh, Gabby and I have, uh, well, had two cats. We have one now. Rest in peace. Um, <laughs> and Nora absolutely loves these cats, all right? The cats absolutely hate Nora, especially when she was one, especially when she could start to move, because now all of a sudden, Nora could go after them, and this was not good, right? Now, <laughs> cats, in their hands, if you didn't know, have these very sharp things called claws. <laughs> and when they feel threatened by something, often tend to flex out their claws and kind of go to town on folks, or things, or anything, really. It happened this morning at our house. Anywho. And uh, Nora, specifically, when she was younger, again, she had this curiosity to her. She still does, but she had this immense curiosity. She wanted to touch everything, feel everything. Everything was going in the mouth, whatever, right? And so we get Nora, and we have these cats. And we had one of them who was particularly angry all the time. 
and particularly violent. And Nora one day decides, I'm going to grab that cat by the face. And she crawls over to the table where he's laying, and she pulls herself up on the table, and she just, boom, palms this cat's face. Now, I would feel threatened by that as a human, let alone as a cat. And what do you think the cat immediately did to my sweet little one-year-old at the time? I like that. They've got a sound effect over there. <laughs> right? Nora grabs, claws come out right across her face, and legitimately we have this picture of her where she's got three claw marks across her face with this dumbfounded look like, what the heck just happened? And she, of course, naturally starts freaking out. The cat's freaking out. She's crying. She's screaming. And we're just like, ah, like we got to like settle the situation down. And so we're like trying to calm Nora down. We're trying to help her settle in. And she finally settles in. We're like, okay, great. And Nora, for the most part, if she did something that didn't end in the way that she intended it to end or wanted it to end or didn't end in her joy or in something good, for the most part, she wouldn't do it again. And yet, the cats were different. <laughs> and so legitimately, over over and over and over again, Nora's curiosity gets the best of her. She climbs over, she jumps up, she grabs the cat, and sure enough, the cat just goes off on this poor little kid. And Gavin and I are sitting here like, you got to be kidding me, man. Like, absolutely just dumbfounded by the fact that this keeps happening over and over and over again. And we keep asking her, like, Nora, you know this isn't going to end well, right? Like, this, you know this isn't good. You know this isn't going to end in the way that you hope this is going to end. Why on earth do you keep doing this thing, right? Why on earth, if you know it's not going to end in the way that you intend it or want it or hope it to end, why do you keep showing up and why do you keep doing it anyways? And I think for so many other spaces of life, that's a super real question that we need to ask ourselves, and clearly as we grow up. And as we mature, some of those choices begin to become different. It's not <laughs> grabbing the face of a cat, but so many other things. That we know that when we enter into a decision, when we make a choice, ultimately at the end of it, we know it's not going to end the way that we intend it to, but somehow, some way, we continue to find ourselves showing up and continuing to do the same things over and over and over again. I think Paul gets it really right in Romans 7.15. He says, I don't understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. The fact of it is, more than likely in your life, you're going to ask yourself this question at one point. Why do I do the things I don't want to do? I know where it's heading. I know where it's going. I don't want this to be the reality. And yet, here I am showing up. Psalm 46. We hear these words. We receive the truth. We find comfort in knowing all that's being presented to us, and yet, in our times of struggle, in our deepest, darkest moments, when things are the hardest, when things are coming at us, or when something's really, really just struggling internally inside of us, often, we tend to do the exact opposite. We know that God says come. We know that he invites us. We know that this is a, this open-ended opportunity for each and every single one of us, this truth and this reality, and ultimately that he wins and that we can go to him in everything and no matter what that he's with us. And yet we find ourselves placing and extending our dependence and, and our trust, our security, finding our refuge, finding our fortress, finding our strength in everything else. Over and over and over in Scripture, the Bible warns us repeatedly against trying to find security or refuge in something other than God. And yet, here we are. We find ourselves in moments and we say, why, why is it that I find myself drawing, drawn to doing certain things or to not doing other things? And then my behavior ultimately runs the opposite direction. I say to myself, I'm not going to look at this and then I do it. 
I'm not going to drink that, and then I drink it. I'm not going to mess up this relationship, and then I mess it up, and we find ourselves doing the very things we told ourselves that we wouldn't do. And what ends up happening is ultimately in these moments, this is when we begin to feel stuck in what Psalm 46 is talking about. Our sin. The chaos that surrounds us, whether that's something that's coming in from the outside or something that's happening internally. Regardless of what it is, at the end of the day, we begin to feel stuck. We begin to feel buried. We begin to feel pressed down in these moments. But this condition that we live with, that we're surrounded with, that's happening inside of us, and it's in these moments that it seems that the harder that we try to wrestle with it, the harder that we try to confront it, the more we find ourselves trying to depend on ourselves, the more stuck we get, the more depressed we get, the more pushed away we feel, the more lonely we are harder it is to ever see any sort of light, even though the light has been promised and told to us that it's with us all of the time and available always. We get stuck in it. Pastor John Ortberg shares that when we get to a place of feeling stuck in our sin, and, and, and both the sin inside of us, but also the sin that surrounds us, this is the place where families get broken and marriages get wrecked and hearts get shattered and reputations get ruined. But the fact of it is, as we look at the scriptures, as we look at even the text that we're in today and all of its glory and all the good news that we receive in it, the truth is that sin is an unavoidable part of the story of the Bible, an unavoidable part of the gospel, and indeed it is an unavoidable part of life as we know it right now. We see all of the demonstrations that are, are shared with us in these brief 10 verses, but think about it as you look at the world right now on a global scale. There's war and conflict and violence. There's injustice and oppression. There's marginalization and racism. There's natural disasters. There's human-made tragedies. And that's just outside of us, right? Not even in our own backyard. As we look across our city, we can point to the division and the tension, the growing divide between the rich and the poor, vicious cycles of brokenness that are in our schools and in our neighborhoods. And again, that's just external. When we start to look in ourselves, we're probably aware of our own selfishness. We're probably well aware of the wounds and the baggage that we carry from our past. We're probably well aware of the ways that we have hurt others and ultimately hurt ourselves. We're well aware of the things that we're trying to hide. And according to scriptures, the world is this way because of sin. And we're told that over and over and over, this threat, this opposition to God's creative order all across this psalm in Psalm 46. Here's the, the, the beauty of it, right? Okay, we're going to transition again. We're not just talking about sin, right? Ultimately, what Psalm 46 is talking about, period, at the heart of it, is ultimately about overcoming that, whether it's external or internal, wherever it might be happening. That's what this is talking about, right? The good news of Jesus is not just that we can manage our sin, but ultimately that in the midst of it, we can live in fullness delivered from it. This is Psalm 46. It's all that it's getting at. We're not just talking about not suffering under the weight of it. We're talking about experiencing the joy of a life of freedom, of God's grace. And ultimately, that that is, in fact, a possibility and how we get to that possibility. A life fully alive to all that God is doing, fully engaged in loving those that we encounter, fully immersed in seeking wholeness in every single situation. It's possible. It's for us. It's to us. It's being presented to us over and over and over again. And yet, and I know this for me, I'm speaking from this from a personal perspective. Here's, here's, here's the reality I think that happens for so many of us. Is that I forget what's possible for God. And when I forget what's possible for God, my vision of God begins to shrink and it begins to become small. 
My vision starts to stray away from his goodness, and it's in those moments that I experience the most temptation to place my dependence, my trust, and ultimately moving towards other things to attempt to find my refuge, to attempt to find my fortress, to attempt to find my strength, and ultimately it just leads me to feeling more stuck and ultimately in places that are just dark, difficult, and hard. Point is, I think for so many of us, and again, I'm speaking for myself here, I don't think we often have a proper understanding of the dangers of sin simply because of our inability to fully grasp the life that is, in fact, truly available to us in Jesus Christ. We've got bits and pieces of it, but we haven't understood the vastness, the wholeness, the completeness that's there. So, if we're being practically looking at life, be serious about following Jesus, what are we to do in the midst of it, right? In the threat, as Psalm 46 calls it, right? In these moments, in the midst of the moments that we're feeling, that potentially maybe it's inadequacy, potentially it's insecurity, maybe it's feelings of rejection or anger or it's boredom or it's loneliness. Perhaps it's a feeling of losing control. Maybe it's a feeling of lost comfort. Perhaps it's disappointment or disillusionment or discouragement or depression, darkness, discontentment, whatever it is, right? We can name the list. We can keep going. We can throw that out there. But, but ultimately, at the end of the day, right, how do we look at Psalm 46 and practically latch on to God and the truths of Psalm 46 and understand and live out the fact that he is, in fact, our refuge, that he is, in fact, our strength, and that he is our fortress? And so, first and foremost... I'm going to ask us a a few questions, a few reflective questions for you. Number one is, in the hardest moments of your life, in the deepest, darkest moments of your life, what are you going to? And I want to say, if you're here today and you say, I'm going to God in those moments, I want to say yes and amen. That's awesome. We want to celebrate that with you. That's a really real reality for our life. For some of us, that might not be the case. And so today, I want to to invite you to think about that. If I'm not running to God, if I know this reality, this truth, this knowledge, embracing it externally and internally, intellectually, why am I not running there? What am I running to? What is that thing? And I want you to name it. Okay? The next, again, these are four, four practical steps, really quickly, four practical steps for you in the midst of these situations when we have this choice in front of us that we get to make to go to God or to go to something else. The first thing I'm going to encourage you to do in these moments or even in your life as a whole as it stands is that we need to recognize the things that we find ourselves drifting towards. So that question I just asked you, the reality of that, name it. Don't let things stay in the dark. Don't let something stay with just you. Share it with somebody around you, but look for it and begin to name it. Begin to call it out. Take the power away from it, okay? What do you find yourself drifting to? Again, perhaps it is putting that dependence in yourself. Perhaps it is putting it in somebody else. Perhaps it is some sort of a substance or some sort of a thing that you go to for temporary comfort that ultimately ends up lacking that in its entirety and leaves us feeling more in that place of dark. And it changes. Maybe it'll bring us up in that very moment. So what's the thing? What are you prone to move towards? What are you prone to, to walk towards to find some sort of temporary escape or security? What is that? Name it. Recognize it. After we've recognized that the second thing I'm just encouraging you to do is to take steps away from it. Don't keep being sucked in by it. Don't keep walking towards it. Don't keep letting that reality be the reality of your life when you know that there is, in fact, a possibility at a deeper level to seek the things that you truly desire to see happen. To go to God, even in the midst of unimaginable hardship. 
we have to flee from it. We have to take steps away from it. We have to run from it. For some of it, that might be significantly more difficult because it, maybe it's something less tangible. For some of us, there are things ultimately on a, uh, an outward level that ultimately feed an inward desire. And so how do we begin to see the things that ultimately push and feed what's happening internal? I want to get super practical again. If we're to walk away from some of these things, some of these things we need to just cut out of our lives completely. Some of it we can't. And so how do we begin to walk through that, right? Maybe for some of us, there's an app that needs to be deleted on our phone. We know where it pushes us. We know where it takes us. Get rid of it. For some of us, uh, maybe there's some people that we need to stop following. And that's hard. But maybe there's a reality in that. For some of us, there's maybe there's music we need to stop listening to, shows we need to stop watching because of, again, the place that it brings us to. Whatever it might be, it might be something as simple as that. Maybe it's putting time limits on something. I'm not going to do this after X time of the day because I know what I'm going to be tempted to move towards. I know what I'm going to be tempted to do. Perhaps it's making sure that something's being done in community so that you have accountability with you. This goes on. At the end of the day, right, we're not here to make lists, period. At the end of the day, what one person can handle, another person can't, and that's okay. Right? We're not here to make the law. But we want to support one another in the process of that. We want to see it. We want to name it. We want to take the power away from it. We want to take active steps to move away from it. And ultimately, as we talk about fleeing, what we're really talking about is honesty. Am I being honest about what specific thing, activity, pursuit is doing to my soul? And ultimately, if I step away from that, am I willing in an honest moment to accept that I have pain? Am I willing to accept that I'm suffering? Am I willing to accept that I'm depressed? This is a moment of honesty and the seriousness that we come before as we take steps away to recognize what might be there to ultimately be able to push and pursue past that. The third step after we recognize and take steps away from what we might be moving towards when we flee is to pursue. If any time we're moving away from something, we have to be moving to something else. Otherwise, we're going to fill it with something else on the other side of it. We have to pursue the Lord. We have to do it in community. I love the, uh, how Brother Lawrence calls it. He says we have to practice the presence of God. And so I'm inviting us, as we take steps away from what we're fleeing, that we would actively pursue the presence of God, that we would actively, in community, be living out the true realities that we receive in Psalm 46. That when we feel so distant, so far, so beaten down, ultimately, that we additionally, in community, as a church, have the opportunity to fixate one another's eyes back on the one that we know that we're intended to pursue and depend upon. So we have to pursue, and lastly, we have to receive. So, again, we recognize, we flee, we pursue the Lord, and ultimately receive every little thing that he has for us, every affirmation that he has for us. Whatever it is for you, in your deepest, darkest moment, as they say in AA, let go and let God. Let him come in. Let God be God. Let him show up and let him show off in your life. Put down the barriers that are there that are holding it back and let God show up in your life. Come before God in your pursuit and let God know it. Let God have it. We don't have to always come to God with perfection. We can come to God with anger, and that's righteous. That's good. That's okay. We can come before God and say, God, I need to know that I'm loved and hear and receive the response that he has for us. We're loved. We can come to God and we can say, God, I need to know that I belong. And he says, you belong. God, I need to be embraced. And he says, I'm right here with you. God, I need to not feel alone in my thoughts. And he says, again, I'm with you. I'm present. I'm here. But ultimately, it's coming to God in this posture of saying, 
I need you, Jesus, more than anything else. And this is the intent of Psalm 46 entirely in every way, shape, and form is to draw us to our knees and to draw us to Jesus over everything else that surrounds us in our life. There is hope for change. There is hope for freedom. There is hope for healing. Wherever you are, whatever you've done, whatever's been done to you, wherever you've been, there is hope at the end of the day with Jesus, period. Visibility is not in us, but it's in Christ to ultimately overcome sin. He is our strength. He is our refuge. He is our fortress, and it is in him alone. I don't know where you're at. I don't know what you came in with today, but I know this. I know that we all have present struggle. My invitation to you is if you were able to, to say something today, name that, find something that you found ultimately that you've been pursuing before you've been pursuing Jesus, I encourage you not to leave this place without telling somebody. If your person's not here that you want to share that with, I invite you to take out a phone at the end of service and text somebody, set up a time to talk. Don't let it have power over you. We don't have to. God's already won, and he will win. And he's in this process, and he's inviting us into this. He is our refuge. He is our strength. He is our fortress. He is the one so much greater than us, and we can have confidence in God. For every single one of us, to have God as our refuge means that whatever comes our way, no matter what it is, it can never separate us from God. Paul gets at this over and over again in Romans 8, 35 through 39. What it doesn't say in that passage, it doesn't say that followers of Christ will experience no trouble or no hardship or no persecution or no famine or no nakedness or danger or sword, things listed throughout that text. He doesn't say that we won't be threatened by angels or demons or something in the present or something in the future, job loss, whatever it might be. But what's promised is that nothing can separate us. And we trust in Jesus. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. He is our refuge. He is our strength. He is our fortress. Every new year of life brings 365 days of uncertainty, and every new day brings us 24 hours of uncertainty. But you better believe it, that every second of every hour of every day of every year, God's presence and his power in our lives is available to us. He's with you. In it all, he's with you. Know the Lord as your refuge and your strength. Are you trusting in yourself? Are you trusting in someone else? Are you trusting in something else to save you? And my encouragement today is have confidence in God. Have confidence in God. So I'm going to close your time out in prayer. And uh, as we do, we are going to pray a, a prayer, the prayer of St. Patrick, just a part of it. And uh, this is another practical tool that I just want to, uh, again, extend out to you all that as we do so, uh, this is a good understanding, a good reminder, a good remembrance, ultimately, that God is always with us, period, no matter what's happening, what's going on. So I'm going to ask you all to bow our heads. And as we do so, I'm going to read a line. I'm just going to ask that you repeat that line back to me. And we're going to do that throughout the prayer. And we'll close our time. So let's pray. Christ, shield me today against wounding. Christ be with me. Christ before me. Christ behind me. Christ in me. Christ beneath me. Christ above me. Christ on my right. Christ on my left. Christ when I lie down.
Christ when I sit down. Christ in the heart of everyone who thinks of me. Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me. Christ in the eye that sees me. Christ in the ear that hears me. I arise today through the mighty strength of the Lord of all creation. Amen.